0: Protein degraders is a promising area of emerging small molecule therapies. Rather than inhibit disease-causing proteins, degraders use a natural cellular process to break them down. Origami Therapeutics is using its proprietary drug discovery platform to develop novel protein degraders to target neurodegenerative diseases. The approach allows the company to target proteins that are considered undruggable because they lack an identified binding site. We spoke to Beth Hoffman founder and CEO of Origami, about its platform for developing degraders, its focus on neurodegenerative diseases, and how it's looking to potential partners to exploit the full potential of its platform technology. Beth, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Danny. Great to be here.
0: We're going to talk about Origami Therapeutics, its drug discovery platform, and its efforts to develop next-generation therapies by degrading disease-causing proteins involved in neurodegenerative conditions. The company is seeking to exploit a natural mechanism within the body. Can you explain how and why the body naturally degrades proteins?
1: Yes, I can. Um, So typically, um, you know, you're Your cells make proteins, but like everything else, um, we all age and proteins in cells age and they need to be recycled. And so that's why there are sort of natural degradation pathways or garbage cans, if you will, within cells that take care of the aged proteins and recycle the the, um, components of the proteins um, to go back into new proteins.
0: Origami is not alone in pursuing a therapeutic strategy centered on protein degradation. I can think of at least one company that's doing this in the area of oncology, and you've been involved in the past in developing therapies that have done this, I believe, in cystic fibrosis. Is that was that a protein degradation strategy?
1: No, actually. Uh, so let me just say, yes, there are actually are many, many um, companies getting into the protein degradation space um, that really is a really hot new, exciting modality. Um, and there are many different varieties um, or flavors of um, protein degraders that people are exploring.
0: What's happened to suddenly make this an area of interest?
1: Um, you know, things um, percolate often in academia, new ideas. And so um, so that's true for protein degraders, which I think have been, you know, percolating along and um, really ha- it's been the past, I'd say, five six years where there's been a lot more effort um, to commercialize or or generate therapeutics using this approach. Uh, so that that's you know the usual course of new technologies, um, and as always, new technologies don't sort of spring up out of nothing. That's sort of the basis of science, is we learn, people experiment, they identify sort of new approaches, new techniques, and and then it takes a little while for them to blossom to the point that um, folks like me, drug hunters, are, are ready to get in and start trying to use those technologies to make therapeutics.
0: Neurodegenerative diseases have been a area of great challenge for therapeutic developers, you're pursuing what have been some of the most intractable diseases. Why focus on these conditions? And is there something particular about protein degraders that make them particularly well-suited for the challenge?
1: Yeah, so I think the, you know, often the challenge is in neurodegeneration is really to get to the bottom of what is the the cause of of the disease. And so, um, just as in cyst, you asked me about cystic fibrosis a bit a bit ago, and that was not really a protein degradation strategy, um, it was a, a way to use small molecules to help refold um, proteins so that now they are functional. But the commonality is that we're f- fixing um, what nature or genetics. Has, has mutated and, and rendered either non-functional or in the case of cystic fibrosis or toxic in the case of neurodegeneration. So um, the reason I think that um, protein degraders are so appropriate for neurodegeneration is the fact that we, there are proteins that aren't behaving Often due to mutations, and they unfold or they come apart and they become toxic. And so, we want to make sure that we can target and get rid of those toxic proteins. So, most of the protein degrader work has been done in the um, oncology or immuno-oncology field. Um, And there, if you get rid of a protein and you hijack, a cell pathway, you're fine. And if you kill the cells, well, that after all is what you're trying to do is kill the cancer cells. However, in neurodegeneration, you, you don't wanna kill cells. In fact, you want the cells to live and moreover, you want them to thrive. And so the idea of hijacking pathways or getting rid of proteins that are important in the cell altogether is, is you know, dangerous and often leads to other problems in the cells. So we think that protein degradation targeting, in this case, the mutant protein that, is, that becomes toxic um, has great potential to get rid of the toxic protein, but also be very gentle on, on the rest of the cell so that we can return the cells to normal function, normal physiology
0: one of the promises of your approach is to go after so-called undruggable targets what makes a target undruggable and how do protein degraders solve that problem
1: yeah that's a great question so um <laughs> i'm I, i'm chuckling because what i te- often tell people is um undruggable is in in the eye of the beholder in a way and i think people in my mind, undru- targets are called undruggable, often because nobody has really tried. <laughs> and so this, I see it makes you laugh too. It, it, um, it, uh, it that was the case even for the cystic fibrosis um, protein that's disabled by mutations, it's called CFTR. Um, and people thought, oh no, you can't really target that. That's really just crazy. Um, and, you know, folks would go from, Vertex would go to um, scientific meetings and kind of people would snicker. Um, but in fact, um, it's entirely possible that a small molecule can actually fix a broken protein that's broken due to mutation in the case of CFTR. What we're doing is actually sort of the f- opposite side of the coin. So we're going after proteins that have mutations, that cause the protein to be toxic, and we're targeting those proteins, the toxic misfolded proteins, for degradation.
0: you're also developing what you call correctors. Do you have a broader arsenal than just degrading proteins that you can actually correct misfolded proteins?
1: Yes, thanks for that question because that really gets to the the point I was making about two sides of the same coin. so our small molecules are are modulating protein folding, and so the degraders help the proteins misfold more and be degraded through the natural degradation pathways in the cell. The correctors, like those that that were developed for cystic fibrosis that I just spoke about, actually can be considered um, to maintain protein folding or stabilize protein folding and therefore overcome the mutation and, and leave the protein functional. So in the case of a protein like in neurodegeneration that becomes toxic, if we're able to prevent it from misfolding and keep it properly folded, then um, we have a chance also to prevent um, the downstream sequelae of this toxicity. So um, you can look at it in both ways. And we feel our advantage um, is that we can match the right um, approach, be it corrector or protein degrader, um, to the appropriate disease.
0: Origami has a technology platform it calls Oricision. What is Oricision and, and how does it work?
1: So Oricision is a, a collection of technologies that um, much of which uh, the the basis is um, a lot of work that I've done um, both at vertex and now at origami um, as I said modulating protein folding and so but one of the really important keys to our technology platform to orcision is the use of um, patient derived cells the reason that's important is m- much of drug discovery has used, Um, say mouse or rat models or rodent models to model human disease. And I think as we begin to understand and have understood more and more about human diseases, we also understand that these models are just that. They're models. They are Similar to human disease in some aspects, but you can't really look at them as this is the human disease, and if your drug works in this model, it will work in people. And I think that over the past, you know, eight to 10 years, I think people have become more and more appreciative of that fact and how to more appropriately use the animal models. But that means, okay, so what will get us a, a better likelihood of success? in the clinic. And it turns out that in the case of cystic fibrosis, in the case of a pain um, uh, effort that I've been part of that has um, shown positive clinical success, as well as a number of other efforts, the use of patient-derived cells, cells that have the same mutation as patients do, um, actually helps us understand the biology, understand that um, these The compound, particular compounds we might be looking at are efficacious but also safe, and it helps us understand what biomarkers to look at in the clinic. So overall put together, that really enhances the likelihood that we will be successful in clinical trials. And so that's really, um, you know, in addition to our protein folding technologies, um, really the, one of the mainstays of, of our Oricision platform.
0: We talked about degraders being natural within the body. Are you using a library of these or are you creating your own as you?
1: Yeah, so what's natural within the body are the pathways, the, de- the pathways by which the cells um, destroy proteins that need to be recycled. What we have are small molecule drugs, which are not natural within the body, um, and that we can give orally, and so they can treat the entire disease. Um, oftentimes, if you have um, you know, something like an antisense oligonucleotide, for instance, you have to give that invasively, and you have to, in the brain, you have to go drill a hole in the brain and go into the brain. Um, in the case of small molecules, and in the case of genetic diseases, oftentimes there is a, a organ or a brain region that is particularly sensitive, and oftentimes then people focus just on that. But really, um, in the case of our our initial disease, Huntington's disease, and many other um, genetic diseases, the the genetic mutation affects many, many cells in the body. And so the ability to give an oral drug and treat all the cells gives us the opportunity um, to get in there and and perhaps even prevent symptoms from ever appearing.
0: You're going after Alzheimer's, ALS, Parkinson's, and frontotemporal dementia. As you mentioned, your, your lead program's in Huntington's disease. For listeners not familiar with Huntington's disease, how does it manifest itself and progress?
1: Yeah, so this is, um, you know, all of the neurodegenerative diseases are terrible. I'm sure many of your listeners know um, family, friends um, who have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease, frontotemporal dementia, those are much more common. Um, Huntington's disease is uh, monogenic. It's caused by a mutation in a single gene. It strikes basically at the prime of life. The average age of onset is 35 years of age. So that's sort of when your career's taking off and you're having kids, and um, and it's it's really just as all of these neurodegenerative diseases are. It's it's very devastating. But what's also devastating is um, you you know that a pa- your parent had it. You have a chance to get it. Your kids have a chance to get it. If you're a child of an HD. Patient, then you know, in a way, you're you're watching what what might be your future. So it's just it's it's very very devastating. It's uh, so Huntington's disease is characterized by three major um, symptom areas. One is um, uh, motoric uh, lack of motoric control. Um, Huntington's disease used to be called Huntington's chorea, so that um, uh, lack of movement control. Is, is what Korea is, um, but also uh, equally perhaps more important are the cognitive or thought processes disruptions, as well as um, uh, behavior, um, uh, behavioral um, issues, problems with controlling behavior, um, those sorts of things. And so oftentimes that's, that's even more devastating than the movement disorder.
0: What treatment options exist today and what's the prognosis for patients with the condition?
1: So so there are um, uh, a cluster of three drugs that basically work by the same mechanism and they um, partially treat the motor um, problems, but uh, there isn't anything that really is affecting the disease progression at this time. Um, over the past 10 years, there has been a tremendous amount of um, energy put into both research and development of um, additional treatments. And so we have a number of treatments that are in the clinic now, um, primarily targeting um, uh, prevention of, uh, of synthesis of the target protein, Huntington. Um, so I think, you know, honestly, uh, I was just at a meeting in February and I think it's, it, it's really a hopeful time. I think there's a lot of attention. There are a lot, I think the, the best thing I've seen is really a diversity of approaches. So there are many people trying to go after this disease in, in different ways and to modify the progression. So I think this is, you know, there's a lot of optimism and I think that's well-deserved. Um, at the moment, there really isn't, isn't a lot um, to, to help ease the progression. And so much of it is symptomatic and then, and, you know, just um, uh, supportive care.
0: What makes this a, a compelling indication as your lead indication?
1: Great question. that People often ask that because they want to know why wouldn't you go after the, you know, the huge Alzheimer's um, disease market. And so when you, have a startup or when you start on something, you wanna make sure you're going after that, which will give you the best likelihood of success. And so in Huntington's disease, because we know what causes the disease and we know what to fix on the preclinical side and what do we need a a drug to be able to do, and because we can identify the patients based on their genetics um, and we know what to measure, and we basically know when to measure it, we have, I think, a winning formula, which is we we know what we need the drug to do, and we can actually test it in the clinic. And those two pieces are critically important. We often make lots of drugs and put them into the clinic and they don't always work um, for a variety of reasons. Oftentimes, um, because in neurodegeneration, there's trouble knowing who has the disease or when to treat, or exactly what outcomes to measure. And I think that due to an awful lot of hard work from um, a, a huge number of um, people in the HD field, um, both in academia and in um, and in industry, I think we are in a position where um, Huntington's disease uh, can, be, can be treated. And so that's really why we chose um, Huntington's disease as a start, it sounds kind of funny to say, but in my mind, Huntington's disease is is really the low-hanging fruit in neurodegeneration.
0: Is that because its mechanism is well understood?
1: Well, we know what causes the disease and so we know that the that we need to get rid of the toxic protein or prevent the protein from becoming toxic. So yes, there's that part. but also because we, Um, we know how to run the clinical trials and we know who to recruit. And there's a wonderful um, uh, registry of um, unbelievable people who have have um, uh, volunteered to to be part of the registry um, patients and um, and their unaffected uh, family members. And so we we can um, execute on the clinical trials as well.
0: Your experimental therapy is Ori one thirteen. What is it, and how does it work?
1: So, Ori one one three is um, it, it's a it's a small molecule protein degrader, and you know we've done some delving into how we think it looks like it works in the cell in a lot in in detail, and it looks like it is um, enha- basically enhancing recruitment of the mutant Huntington to one of the um, degradation pathways in the cell called autophagy. Um, and so we think we have a pretty good understanding there of how the drug is working. The upshot is that when we treat human um, Huntington's disease neurons, we, we can actually prevent some of the pathologies that you can see in these cells in a dish. So we kind of do a clinical trial in a dish
0: what is the clinical development path forward
1: so we're actually still fairly early so 113 is not yet a drug candidate meaning um, we still need to optimize some um, properties of the molecule um, and we do that you know the medicinal chemists help us make Lots more compounds that look like 113, and we figure out which ones are the best, meaning they have good efficacy, but they're also safe, and they can be given orally and um, and and synthesized easily. And so, all of those good properties um, uh, we still need to uh, to build in. Um, I will say things are looking good, and it definitely gets in the brain. And so and so we're doing some in vivo. Um, characterization as we speak, um, but uh, but from there, basically we optimize the compound, and then we need to test for safety and do something called IND enabling studies, and uh, talk to the FDA, and um, and then we'll be we'll be able to start um, uh, a phase one, phase two clinical trial in patients. So we're estimating at this point that we're about three, three and a half years away from getting into the clinic.
0: Your platform has brought application well beyond neurodegeneration. Is there any plan to exploit that through partnerships or in other ways?
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking. So, you know, um, uh, we've had some interest from a number of um, pharma companies um, in the U.S. And, and outside the U.S. And so um, really those conversations are just getting started, but people have certainly been asking about other applications outside, both neurodegenerative diseases, but also diseases outside, um, outside of the brain, um, things like diabetes and, and, and other sorts of diseases
0: how's the the company financed and and how far will existing funding take you?
1: Yeah, so thus far, um we've been bootstrapped, which is another word to say, another way of saying um, self-funded, uh, my co-founder Leslie Schultz and I. And so um, uh, I was just com- just basically completed um, being part of the winter batch. Of Y Combinator, and so there, that's sort of an accelerator that helps you um, learn, you know, how to raise money and and um, and those sorts of things. And so we're currently um, raising raising our seed fund, um, but I think uh, we've had good response, so that's very very encouraging. And um, and YC, of course, uh, Y Combinator. Makes an investment too, so uh, we think we're we're pretty good um, at least for for this year.
0: Beth Hoffman, founder, president, and CEO of Origami Therapeutics. Beth, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thanks so much, Danny. Great to be here.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week.